Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Turfgrass Epistemology. My name is Travis Shaddix. It is February 7th, 2024, from Lexington, Kentucky. Sunny and cold here today. I'll take it. We had about three weeks, it seemed like, where it was just cloudy and wet and, and gray. It was rather long period of time there. So now it's nice and sunny. I'll take it. We have a full day today. I have a video. I have a PowerPoint presentation, just some slides and an article. We're going to talk about fertilizer pricing today. For those of you who may be new to the channel, this is turfgrass epistemology where we try to find out how we know what we know about turfgrass science. And oftentimes, um, in the world of turf grass, we're talking about nitrogen fertilizers, and oftentimes we'll talk about longevity of release. This, this fertilizer lasts 40 days or 30 days or whatever the case is. But rarely do we talk about costs. We don't normally include, for some reason, how much it costs per acre or per day or whatever, per season, whatever, however you want to do the metric. We don't really do that much in the scientific literature. We're going to go over an article today that includes that. I was going to go over it tonight, but I have so much to go over. I moved it to now. And then tonight we're going to talk about a paper that there was a question yesterday. I can't remember who asked it, but somebody asked a question or made a comment. I, I, I Forgive me, I don't remember who it was. Instead, I'm thinking seriously about putting out one fertilizer for the season as a foundation. So a very long-term nitrogen application, I suppose, is what his thoughts were. And then just supplementing that throughout the year. And I mentioned to him, I wasn't really aware of, I couldn't think of a study, but as soon as I closed the show, I remembered a study. And we're going to go over that tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern time. So we're going to, the study includes lawn care, sports turf, golf fairways, and it includes most of the slow-release materials you'll come across, including methylene urea and urea formaldehyde and sulfur coat and polymer coat. And, and, it, and they applied four pounds of nitrogen from those sources at the beginning of the season and then didn't apply any other nitrogen source. And then they compared it to essentially monthly one-pound one applications of straight urea every month or every every so often to see if the slow-release materials applied at a heavy rate could keep up with the urea. So we're going to go over that tonight. And you will definitely want to watch that. If you're thinking like, well, it might be a little... Might, I've already seen one today. You won't want to miss tonight. Just throwing it out there. So... um and there's a reason why I switched these episodes. So read between the lines if you want to. <clears throat> so we're going to go into a video. We're going to go talk about nitrogen costs today, prices. And uh, I'm going to do that with an article, but I'm also going to present that with some PowerPoint stuff. I think it's just easier to understand using some PowerPoint information on there. Good morning, Ground Up Organic. Thank you for your comments. Thank you for your kind words. 
Gray, Rich the Long Guy. Save some money, yeah. So one of my um, objectives, if you want to call it that, when I was a faculty member, if I was to summarize it, it would be to enhance the profitability of turfgrass enterprises. There's other, other objectives, for example, to do that with minimal or no environmental impact and so forth. But to enhance the profitability of turfgrass enterprises can be defined many ways. You can either maintain the same quality service and do it for less money. You can increase the quality of the service for the same or less money and so forth. You can define it in a variety of ways, but it usually includes money. You know, how can we build a better mousetrap for less money, basically, or do something better for the same money, either way. And so tonight, or today, and this morning, we're going to talk about prices, dollars, and cents. And I did not get any Christmas gifts from the manufacturers when I wrote this article. <laughs> In fact, one of the reviewers of the article, or maybe it was the editor, I can't remember. It's been so many years. But when, we, when it was published, I think it was the editor, who knows, sent me a, a brief little note and said, you guys aren't looking for any Christmas gifts from the manufacturers when you publish this thing. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, well, it is what it is. So it was a fun one to do. Andrew Burris made it just in time. Good morning to you, Lush. Buy more for less, yeah. Brady? Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's an eye-opener or not. I mean, you know, I hope it is, I guess. But at the very minimal, I think you'll walk away with, I hope you'll walk away today with a better framework of how to price your fertilizer. You know, the price per bag or price per ton is is not a not an efficient way or effective way of of pricing fertilizer because i can sell you a 50 pound bag that has five pounds of nitrogen in it or 10 pounds of nitrogen in it you know and so the price per bag is sort of irrelevant it's, you need to do it on price per pound of nitrogen and when i'll show you that today mitch good morning to you and randy and valerio we're all here today so welcome everybody Okay, I have a video I'm going to go over today. I'll, I'll be frank. This is not an easy video for me to watch because it's just depressing. I, I, I'm not going to show the whole thing because it's just full of misinformation to the point where I don't even want to do it to promote any further misinformation. I don't want to be the conduit to it. Um, but I'm showing it because it has, he mentions specific information in here about longevity of release of milorganite in this case and of ammonium sulfate in this case. And the paper we're going to go over today has, has data on that. Have, there's, there's data on the longevity of turf grass response to these um, nitrogen sources. And I don't think this particular, um, video or this gentleman that does this video i don't think he's m that much different than the average person who's fairly familiar with fertilizers what i mean by that is there's a i think a marketing campaign for several decades 
to indoctrinate turf managers and lawn care operators and homeowners about this idea of 45 day release or 90 day release or whatever the case is. Good morning, Ken. Welcome. If you're your first time listening live, welcome, Ken. Um, there's this idea that the slow release is 90 days and I need this because I need another two or three weeks compared to a whatever 60 day or whatever the case is. And he's going to talk about that a little bit in this video. And I'm just saying, I don't think it's that much different than the average person. You know, the question I have, because this is an epistemological process that I'm going through here with, on this channel is how do you know? I mean, <laughs> how, do, how do you know it's 90 days? How do you know it's 30 days? What is the definition of 90 days, 30 days, 45 days, 60 days? What, what is your definition of that? Because if your definition is the, the, the fertilizer will release its substrate you know, uniformly for 45 days, my response to that is, who cares? I don't care. It doesn't matter to me at all. You don't get paid on the length of time your nitrogen release is for. Neither do I. I, I couldn't care less about what the nitrogen release rate is in a jar or on a column somewhere. I mean, when it comes to marketing and comes to the application of it, I care about that in terms of, me, you know, measuring differences between products, you know, in terms of like, you know, if you're, if you're developing products or if you're trying to determine whether there's a difference between these two products in the lab, okay, you know, in terms of its release differences, I can, I, you know, I care about that as a scientist. But as a practitioner, I don't care. I really don't. It doesn't matter to me. This product lasts for 120 days. So what? It doesn't make any difference to me. What matters to me, and I hope what matters to you after watching this um, episode today or listening to this episode if you're on a podcast, is how long does the turf grass respond to that nitrogen source? Because that's a totally different thing. Okay. Because when, when you say a, a you know, polymer coat lasts 90 days, my response is, I don't care. How long does the turf grass response last to that polymer coat? Is that 90 days? Right? And I think, when I, I think when you, if you hear that, you're probably thinking, well, yeah, I get that, Travis. And, Duh, yeah, it makes sense. But that's not the common language in, fertilizer, in the fertilizer business. None of those marketing uh, claims on bags where they have length of release have anything to do with the turf grass response to that fertilizer. It has to do with temperature in a lab or you know, some other extraction method. Okay, And that's all fine and dandy for scientific purposes, no problem. But for useful, practical purposes, I don't care. Okay. So we're going to look at this video today and he's going to, I'm not going to show the whole thing. I can't do it. I can't stomach it. Honestly, I, I've got timestamps on here. It's the whole thing. Unfortunately, I have to watch looks like five minutes. I've timestamped and I'm going to skip ahead and skip back and forth because if not, I'm going to lose it. So this video today, if I can make this thing work here, um, this video we're going to talk about today is from a channel called Turf Mechanic. Now, I, if I'm not mistaken, 
I've I've used this a uh, uh, a video of this gentleman in defense of him. Actually, I mean, there were some rude comments made about him, and um, I don't I don't condone that. But what I do condone is a, a very aggressive and assertive criticism of claims. And in this video, he has a lot of claims that are complete nonsense. So let's listen to the video. I'm going to stop it. I'm going to play it for the length of time without interrupting it, because otherwise I'll never get through here. I'll be here for three hours talking about this. So I'm just going to play it and then stop it at the timestamp and then I'll comment. Okay, here we go. So just for those listening, it's a gentleman sitting out in his front or back lawn. I don't know where he is, but he's got a mountains in the background. It looks gorgeous. He's got a fenced in backyard with beautiful mountains and blue sky in the background. He's got a male organite and ammonium sulfate and he's sitting on a chair in his back lawn talking to the video. And here we go. If you fertilize your lawn with malorganite throughout the growing season, there's a really good chance that you're putting the wrong amount down. Let's talk about it here for the next few minutes. I'm going to use ammonium sulfate, a popular synthetic fertilizer, as a way to illustrate the problem. I don't want to waste your time, so I'm going to say right off the bat that people are generally not putting enough morganite down at a time and or they're putting it down too frequently. You're making the job harder on yourself. Now we okay, so his introduction is, you know, you're not putting male organite down at the right rate, basically. And again, just in case there's anybody on YouTube, I'm not recommending any of this, any of this stuff this guy says, okay? <laughs> right? Just so you know. I'm not, he's, he's, going to ask, he's going to recommend ignoring the label and applying this product despite what the label says, basically. Now, in some states with fertilizer, you know, perhaps that's legal. I don't know. I know it's completely illegal with pesticides in every state. You can't do that. With fertilizers, it's a little more gray. But in general, I don't recommend ignoring any label on a fertilizer or, or certainly not a pesticide. He's not saying on a pesticide. He's not saying that. But on this fertilizer, he's going to tell you to ignore the labeled rate. and go at an uh, go you can go at a lower rate but he's t he's going to tell you to go at a much higher rate okay i'm not saying that so don't <laughs> you know i'm just critiquing it so i'm going to skip ahead to let's see 159 i'm going to skip ahead to 159 and we're going to so he's he's again he's going to talk about morganite and uh you're not applying at the right rate, basically. And he's going to compare it to ammonium sulfate, more or less. Here we go. Next, next section. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this was the guy. <laughs> this was the guy. I remember now. I was watching a video about a month ago, or whatever it was, and I couldn't remember where i went back in my history to try to find it and i couldn't find who said it this was the guy who i'll have to go back and see the find the video but now i know the channel i'll look on his channel and oh there's no sound on the video oh man all right well thanks for letting me know i'll go back and play it i guess audio is not working on the video okay thanks for letting me know guys i appreciate it let me see if i can 
fix that real quick. Let me see here. There's no audio on the video. If you fertilize your really. How do I fix that? I remember now. It's a shame because um, I remember this guy now. Oh Lord, you guys are helping me out here, and I I'm not going to be able to fix this audio problem probably. Let's see if I can fix this. I don't know how to fix it. Let me see here. Um, how do I, how do I fix the audio? Um, oh, it did on the first clip, just not on the second clip. Oh, okay. Well, let me see if I can. Let me see if I can get it back then. Let me see what happens if I hit play here. Be quick on the chat. Let me know if it doesn't. Because on my end, it shows the audio playing. Let me play it again. What does all that mean? To explain, I'm going to explain a little bit about ammonium sulfate. This is a product that I pretty much never use in the lawn, but I do know quite a bit about it. Ammonium sulfate. So did you hear that part? I don't know. If you didn't hear it, I'll have to just do the video again on another day. I don't know if it's not working or not, but if you didn't hear that part, please let me know. Uh, as, as you all well know, I'm completely incompetent when it, come, when it comes to this stuff. But, um, okay, it's good. Thank you. So he says uh, he knows quite a bit about that, and that reminded me of it's, this when the audio when the audio switches. It's probably because I'm switching scenes here. Who knows what's going on? But that rem reminded me that he, um, this guy. I was watching a video, and I, and I went back to try to find the video because I couldn't believe it. I was I was laughing so hard because this the guy and it was this gentleman. I'm almost 100 percent sure that it was this gentleman. It said. Um, Perhaps I know too much about turf grass. He was talking about some video and he goes, well, you know, what can I say? Perhaps I know too much about turf grass. And then he said right here, that, that's what reminded me of it. He goes, what did he say? He goes, I know. And he knows quite a bit about ammonium sulfate. That's what reminded me about it. So I was, that's, thank, I'm glad I, I watched this. I'm glad I chose this video. I didn't catch that the first time. Eventually I'll show that video if I can ever find it. Now I know the channel. I'll go back and I'll look for his video. Are you saying he knows too much about turf grass? I, I'm I'm uh, privileged to be a, a, so around. Um, I'll leave the names out of it. Be around many many in, intelligent people, not just in in academia, um, but in business, in the industry. Um, you know, uh, operating lawn care companies, golf course sod, sod producers. I'm around a lot of people that are very successful and very knowledgeable. I have never seen any of them ever say they know too much about turf grass. <laughs> That's the funniest thing I've ever heard. It, it, it seems it, there's a there's a what is the saying? The more the more you you say, the less you know, or something like that. The more you talk about, it, the less you know, or whatever the case is. And it's it's the Dunning Kruger effect. The more the you learn a little bit, you gain a little bit of competency, and your confidence goes sky high. And that's what reminded me. Uh, that's what he says when that's what. He, when he says that, it reminds me of the Dunning-Kruger um, P 
peak there where you gain a little bit of competency and um and your your confidence goes sky high and that happens with everybody no, no one's immune to it you know you learn a little bit about you know, weed eating or taking part of carburetor or whatever the case is, and you think you know everything about it, you know, it's very common for that to occur. And it's only after you've been, you know, exposed to it for a long time and you start to gain more um, competency on it that you realize your confidence is way too high. You need to lower your confidence level a little bit. But that's, yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to stop it. I said I wasn't going to stop it, but that's what I suddenly, remi that re suddenly reminded me that that's, <laughs> this is the guy. <laughs> that's funny. All right, back to it. If you have any more, if I have any problems with the audio, please let me know. Thank you, guys. Ammonium sulfate in its purest form, which is what you see here, is a 2100 product. It's a purely synthetic fertilizer, and yes, if I put it on the lawn, it would make everything green. This is high on the salt index, so it is always a risk of burning your lawn. Malorganite is enormously low on the salt index, so it's almost impossible to burn your lawn with it. When you put ammonium sulfate down on the lawn, it is all, 100% of it, water soluble, so it becomes available instantly. So, so long as the root systems of your grass are not dormant, what you see behind me here is a very early season lawn. Coming out of winter, things are waking up, the root systems are not dormant, and the grass is just barely starting to grow. If I were to put this product on the lawn, it would start growing and within four to six weeks, it would be done. All of it would be used up, and I would have to apply it again if I wanted another push of growth. I, I said I wasn't gonna stop it. I'm gonna just been right there. Just make sure we're clear is that he's saying four to six weeks, you apply the ammonium sulfate, it's gonna be done in four to six weeks. Keep keep an eye on the, the length of time that he's talking about on some of these products, and, and I'll come back to it in, um, in a minute. Ballpark rule of thumb is if you're putting three quarters of a pound of nitrogen per thousand square feet of ammonium sulfate on your lawn, you're going to have to do it again after six weeks or about 45 days, unless you just want to go into a stabilization period where you're not fertilizing at all. If, however, you were to put the same amount of fertilizer on the lawn using malorganite, it would continue working for an additional 25 days up to about 10 weeks. That means that all of the growth that you get out of this fertilizer is used up and this still has a month to go, which means- okay, Yeah, again, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't keep, I gotta, I gotta stop it sometimes. About to lose my mind here. Keep in mind, that's what he said. So, you know, it's gonna stop and the milorganite is going to have another month to grow or whatever. If you use ammonium sulfate, the growth is going to eventually peter out. And then because you use milorganite or a slow release material like this, then it's going to continue to grow for another month. Just keep in mind, don't forget these numbers. Okay, guys. It's not using the amount of fertilizer that this does within those first six weeks. If you want to have stable growth relative to this, you're gonna be able to put down a higher dose of this than the bag rate indicates. Most people don't really want to go out. And okay, just so we're clear, I said it when I started, I'm not recommending this. I'm not recommending ignoring any label on any product that you put in our environment, okay? So just we're clear for all the YouTube people out there to not, to not do something to my channel. I am not promoting this misinformation or um, potential potential uh, act, actions that are illegal. You know, I'm not, in most cases, you can do some things with fertilizers that are different than pesticides. But when it comes to labeled rates, 
with fertilizers, with pesticides for sure, that's obvious. We have NIFRA to, to cover us on that. We have to do that. The label's a law. With fertilizers, it's slightly gray, but I'm not saying do this, just so we're clear, all right? Fertilize their lawn 10 times a year or five times a year. Four times a year is pretty normal. Mid-spring, going into summer, at the end of summer, and then early November as a winterization application that the lawn can then use in the following growing season. Now, we'd already talked about um, fall fertilization, and he just said you can put it down in November for, fertiliz for grass to use up or for fertilization to be used in the following growing season. And we made it very clear for a month I went over this stuff. Well, my longer, whatever, you can go back and look at the playlist where it talks about fall fertilization, fall fertility. And episode after episode, paper after paper after paper says the same thing. And that is, you want to go, if you're going to do the fall fertilization, which is, which is important, you want to go out early, September, you know, it depends on where you're at, but you know, you want to go out well before the grass starts to slow down. In my area, it's September in Kentucky. As you move north, it might be, you know, earlier than that. If you go south, it might be later than that. But, you know, well before it goes, it starts to slow down. You want to you have that application down on the ground, primarily of soluble nitrogen, okay? And the closer and closer you get to that grass slowing down, you want to back way off on the nitrogen to the point where you don't really want to consider applying any nitrogen in the late, late fall, early winter. That's not only due to the lack of, not a lack of response, but a reduced response when the grass is already down, but also to the environmental risk that can occur. And we showed papers on that. Go back and look at all the papers that I've gone over. So this idea that you want to go down in November with this fertilization and to leave it in the soil so that it can be taken back up in the spring, the, 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 spring, the, the, fall the late fall, the ones that we don't want to do will actually result most likely in turf grass greening in the spring. That's not, that will happen. The point is, your environmental risk goes through the roof, and it doesn't. And it's not necessary because you can simply avoid that late fall, early winter application, avoid all that environmental risk during the winter, and then go out in the early spring with a application of nitrogen. Then, and he's saying to do. And he's basically saying to do what's opposite of the of the evidence, which drives me nuts. Goofballs like this are on YouTube. Scientists are struggling to trying to keep up with these clowns. Sorry, shouldn't say that. I apologize. It's just very frustrating for me. I spent my entire career doing this stuff to help people, and then someone does this and sets us back. It's crazy. Skipping forward to four four fifty nine. All right, last bit, and then we're done. Makes some sense. Point is, if you take the bag rate and multiply it by 1.55 and then apply it four times throughout the year, it's the same amount of nitrogen as you're putting on the lawn with this product, except for you're only applying it four times throughout the year. Now, I'm not an advocate for putting melorganite down as your only fertilizer four times a year, but I do know that a lot of people are. So if you fall into that camp, make sure that you're putting enough down. Make sure that you are adjusting for the slowness factor of this being used in the lawn. Here in my lawn, in my yard, and here on this channel, I do like to advise people, and I do it myself, to put melorganite down in the spring. This is my product of choice in the spring. Spring is a natural root development 
period of the year for grasses of all kinds. And because this has so much phosphorus in it, it's gonna allow the grass to be able to put on those roots that it wants to naturally. But I'm not an advocate for putting down too much phosphorus. Well, what's your definition of too much phosphorus? My definition is the application of any phosphorus to a turf grass that's not deficient in phosphorus. That's my definition. So if you're not a fan of putting down too much phosphorus, stop applying it completely unless you have a turf grass deficiency in phosphorus. You can kind of get a rough idea what that, you know, your risk from a soil test, you can kind of get a rough idea. But unless your turf grass is exhibiting phosphorus deficiency, applying any phosphorus is too much. Tired of this nonsense. It's ridiculous. I'm going to have to take a break, get my blood pressure back down. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's absurd. The if you see a phosphorus deficiency in your turf grass, which I doubt many people have ever actually seen that, to be frank. But if you do, it's very easily diagnosed, very obvious what it is, and it's even more easy to remedy. It doesn't take that long. You go out and spread out a little bit of pea. You can even spray out some phosphorus. And the turf grass responds very rapidly. Within a week or two, it'll pop right back out and it'll look like nothing ever happened. So these con this concept or this, this ongoing you know, management practice where we're just applying natural organics willy-nilly and saying, I'm, I'm, I, don't mind, you know, I don't mind applying, I don't want to apply too much phosphorus. This, this has phosphorus in it, so I'm going to apply it because the spring was where we need a lot of root growth, all this stuff. This ongoing nonsense. These, we need to cut the stuff off, guys. This is absolutely ridiculous. Don't sit here and tell me that you're being, you're being you know, thoughtful of the, the environment because you're using natural organics and you're spreading this stuff out when you don't have a phosphorus deficiency. You might think that. You might believe that. But I can assure you that's not the case. If you're putting out phosphorus in any situation where your turf grass is not deficient in phosphorus, you are contributing to the problem. So knock it off. I've got 20 seconds left. and I don't think I'm even going to make it through these next 20 seconds. Over the course of a season. That's why I only put this down in the spring. But when I put this down in the spring, I take the bag rate and I round it up. Mathematically speaking, we're talking one time, 1.55 times the bag rate because it's going to last for 10 weeks instead of six weeks. So that's what he's, and that's it. That's all I got. He's saying to ignore the label. He's telling you to apply it at one and a half times the labeled rate for some sort of perceived extended release. Don't do it. Don't, you know. The best advice I can tell you is that if you have questions about stuff like this, go look up the, 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 your local land-grant institution's extension website or call a professor. Ask them what they recommend. They're going to have best management practice manuals. And nowhere in any of those manuals is it going to say ignore the fertilizer label and put it out at 1.55 times the rate. And nowhere in there is it going to say apply phosphorus even if your turf grass is perfectly fine with phosphorus. Okay. So... These, you know, I'm using YouTube, you know, <laughs> for, for communication of information as well. But the majority of this stuff on YouTube is complete nonsense. 
and, and you really can't rely upon it. You, you almost have to assume that it's just inaccurate from the beginning until, you, until otherwise proven different. So, it, you know, take it for what it's worth. Don't do this. Don't exceed the labeled rate unless you have a very good reason. Okay. And I, I wouldn't even do it then. I mean, I, I, I will do certain things under the premises of the research. I'm conducting research, so we do some crazy things. But the reason we do those crazy things is because then we can, we can refine that rate back down to a known limit, to a safe limit. But we, we got to know the points above that safe limit so that we can do a regression and determine what is the safe limit. So in research, we'll do these things. But in practice and application, I do not recommend ignoring any label and just doing whatever you think you should do. Okay. And I definitely don't recommend doing it and putting it on YouTube and telling everybody you're doing it. All right. Gonna back down. <laughs> back it off a little bit. <laughs> Regain my composure. Hopefully I didn't say anything I regret. Okay. Okay. All right. So that's that on the video. The reason I showed that is because he's talking about ammonium sulfate. You're going to have to apply more frequently if you can do it with more organite. You can apply more organite at, at the higher than the labeled rate and get extended release. Not have to apply it as frequently compared to ammonium sulfate. You're going to have to apply ammonium sulfate every four to six weeks. Whereas the natural organic like a organite, you can, you can apply less frequently at higher rates and so forth. Now we're going to go in to see what the evidence actually says. Okay. So what you, what he said, you may not necessarily disagree with it firmly. You may, you may agree with what he's saying to some degree. And there's, there's some evidence in the literature here and there that you can do these slow release materials. We're going to show some talk. We're going to talk about it tonight on tonight's show at 9 PM. Where you can do um, some stuff like that, where you're do, using 100% slow release, and you can see some of these extended uh, release periods and the turf grass response to these extended release periods. You can see that relative to urea. It, it, it exists. The paper we're going to talk about in a, today, right now, doesn't have a lot of evidence to support that, and it has a tremendous amount of evidence to, to ignore those recommendations like what he's saying when it comes to cost. Okay, so having said that, Let's get into the paper today. The paper today is going to be, is entitled Determining Nitrogen Fertilizer Cost Using Turf Grass Response. So for years in the industry, I was, I was subjected to you know, brainwashing of indoctrination. I mean, it wasn't brainwashed, but that's what they're attempting to do, saying you need to include the longevity of release on these fertilizers. Yeah, a polymer coat costs $1,500 a ton. But it's going to last two times as long or three times as long as urea or whatever the case is, ammonium sulfate. And you got to factor that in. You got to factor in all these other um, variables to reduce the cost. I'm going to tell a quick little anecdote before we go. I'm going to leave the names out of it. Other than I'll, leave, I'll put one name in it just so that if anybody's watching this who knows me and knows my life back then, they'll know exactly who was there with me. Um, the concept started in, in the 90s from a company that was that was manufacturing polymer coated ureas and sell them mostly in the Southeast United States. And they came up with this idea of days of greening. Okay. So what does it cost per day of greening? And the, the concept of the idea is, well, if, if, if polymer coat is going to last, um, it's going to cost twice as much as urea, but 
the days of greening are twice as much, then it offsets that cost because you're not, you, you know, one, it offsets the cost exactly if it's twice as long and it's twice as expensive, but you're also not going back out there and applying it as frequently. Okay. That was the concept behind it. Now, I'll say this that Excel file that my old colleagues probably still have floating around, where they have all the numbers and all the labor costs and all the fertilizer costs and the longevity of release and all these things, that is inaccurate. And the way I know it is because I was sitting at the guy's kitchen counter who created the Excel file and he was just typing in numbers. Well, we need, we need the polyon. Uh, we have it listed as, uh, as 14 weeks. So we, and it didn't really work. So we're going to extend it to 16 weeks. And the cost of cost doesn't quite line up. So I'm going to increase the cost of urea to $700 a ton instead of $685 a ton. I'm going to lower the cost of polymer coat to 13. I'm, in other words, they just keep messing with the numbers sitting at his kitchen counter. And the, and the gentleman who was with me at the time, I will just say his first name was Charlie. He was with me. They, that wasn't the gentleman who was doing it. It was another gentleman who was just coming up with these numbers, just making them up. Okay. And so eventually you start fidgeting with the dial so much that you'll eventually end up with a number that compares the turf grass response or the cost of, of urea is greater than or equal to the cost of turf grass produced from polymer coated urea. But it's all just made up. N none of it was based on reality. There was no evidence to support it. He was literally sitting at his kitchen counter in Birmingham, Alabama, just making numbers up on his, on his computer. Okay. That's, that's, that's where all that stuff came from. And for years, they've been driving that home saying, well, look at the cost you know, for applications. And you have to go back more than once, and it's the, the reapplication cost and the longevity of release is better, and the turf grass greening is better with these polymer coats, and you have to factor that in. So when I became a professor, and I, one of the first things I was interested in was actually measuring that. You know, will the turf grass response offset the cost of the fertilizer itself? And that's what the title of this is: determining nitrogen fertilizer cost using turf grass response by myself and Dr. Unruh. This was conducted in Fort Lauderdale and in North Florida at near Pensacola at Jay. So it was conducted in two different locations on Bermuda grass. I'm going to go through this briefly, but really I'm just going to show the results and conclusions on, on, a, on a figure. But I'm going to read through this. I didn't even highlight anything in here because um, I mean, I'll be able to get through here, no problem, I think. I'll, I'll read through it basically in a real brief way. Uh, the, the introduction I just gave, basically. Okay, but... Um, that's why I did the study. That was the introduction as to how this study came about was there's been, there's a lot of misinformation in the industry about days of greening and there was no evidence to support it whatsoever, but perhaps they were right. I don't know. I, I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, I'm not aware of any evidence. So maybe all this days of greening stuff was actually true. Okay, so this study was the, was the only attempt I'm aware of that attempted to actually confirm that that information was true. Okay, so if you're paying a lot for sulfur coat and paying a lot for polymer coat and methylene ureas, it might be worth it. It might have been worth it. I, you know, we didn't know. No one knew exactly how long it would cost or last, turf grass response, and then compared that or included the cost in it. No one, as far as I know, no one until this paper had done that. Okay, so that was that's the introduction. I'm not even going to go into more introduction because that's that's about as good as I can do. I'll read the objectives. The objective. Let's see, where did I put the objectives? Oh, here it is. Therefore, therefore, the hypothesis 
of this study was that nitrogen source and rate influence nitrogen fertilizer cost compared with urea when turf grass response is included in the cost. Okay, let me read through the materials and methods just so we're on the same page. This study was conducted during 2018 at the University of Florida's Education Center in Jay and in Fort Lauderdale. So I'm in the South Florida and I'm in the Northwest Panhandle of Florida. Uh, experimental design, I'm gonna show you that in a minute. I had 10 nitrogen sources. I'm going to show you all those in a minute. And they were applied at two different nitrogen rates. I applied all these nitrogen rate sources at one pound of nitrogen and at two pounds of nitrogen. The reason for that is before the study started, I was still in contact with one of, this, one of my past um, colleagues in the, in the fertilizer industry. And I was talking about this study. He said, well, that's fine. But some of those nitrogen sources aren't going to be, um, aren't going to compete. And they're not intended to be applied at one pound of N, which is right. It's, it's true. If you apply one pound of N from some of these slow release, very slow release nitrogen sources, it's not going to compete with one pound of N from urea. It's not intended to compete with one pound of N from urea. So it's, they're intended to be applied at two pounds of N. And so I included, so when he said that, I said, good point. So I included one pound of N and two pounds of nitrogen. But all these nitrogen sources were applied at one pound and two pounds. Okay, I'll continue and I'll show you how the, the methodology developed from my conversations with this gentleman. Uh, talk about the treatment, uh, the plot sizes. Okay, to account, here we are, here I am right here. To account for variables not associated with the nitrogen treatment, turf response longevity, and area under the turf grass response curve from non-treated turf grass was subtracted from the turf grass treatment, the treated turf grass. In other words, I measured the turf grass response from the nitrogen both in longevity, which I'll show you in a minute, I'll de graphically depict this in a second, the longevity of response and the magnitude of response. I measured that, and then I factored out the response that occurred from non-treated turf grass. In other words, what response would have occurred anyway? And this is one reason I mentioned before why I don't recommend people going out and doing their own research, because if you don't factor out what the turf would have done anyway, how, how do you know that the turf grass response was to your treatment? So I factored out the turf response that occurred naturally without the nitrogen. Okay. Now we go back to the, the PDF. Treatments were applied on January, and I'm in Fort Lauderdale on Bermuda grass. So it was applied in 1st of January, 1st of May, 1st of September in Fort Lauderdale. So it was applied three, three applications. And in Jay, where I'm in North Florida, uh, Northwest Florida, it was applied the 1st of April and the 1st of August. So there's three applications in Fort Lauderdale and two applications in Jay. So why is that? The point was, so I'm, I'm spacing them four months apart in Fort Lauderdale. The point was to apply the product, have the turf response be completed before I apply a next round. So the turf should go up, the turf quality and response should go up above acceptable limits. And then at some point, the nitrogen theoretically would start to be depleted and it would come back down. And then, and I needed them all to come back down below an acceptable limit. And then I would reapply it and I would see the next response curve and so forth. That's the reason why I spaced them out. And there's three, three applications in Fort Lauderdale and only two in J because the growing season is only seven months in J. Okay. We watered them in. Let's see. I'm trying to see. I thought I had in here. The turf grass was cut at 0.5. I thought I had in here the, somewhere in here I'm going to get to the, okay, here we go. Turf quality was recorded weekly on a one to nine scale 
where one and one was dead and nine was optimal and six was acceptable. Turf response longevity. So here's how I'm going to measure turf grass response longevity. This was this is critical because as far as I know, on a weekly basis, this hasn't been done. At least hasn't been published. I couldn't find it. There's only one paper by Dr. Soldat that hinted at it. Kind of had some numbers in. It. In fact, that's the paper I'm going to go over tonight. Um, but the turf grass response longevity was determined as days the turf grass quality was greater than six. The area under the turf, because let me just so let me just explain that. If if the let's say theoretically the turf grass started at a quality of one, and the turf and you applied the nitrogen fertilizer, and the turf grass went up to two or three, I argue that that's irrelevant, because to anybody out there it would still be unacceptable. It's it, even though there was a response to the nitrogen source, the response wasn't significant or to the point where it would be biologically acceptable. It was it was still unacceptable. Okay. So what the, the turf grass response, as I defined it, was the, the time at which it went above acceptable limits and stayed above acceptable limits, and then when it came back down. So the, start, the clock started ticking when it went above acceptable limits, and then it stopped when it went down below acceptable limits. And so the way I did that was exceedingly tedious. Every single plot and the response curve to every single plot had to be individually graphed. And then as soon as it went above six, we, started, we counted the days, counted the weeks. And well, I guess it was days at the time. Yeah, it was counted the days. And then we literally looked at every single plot for every application cycle. And we counted the number of days from the time the line went above six to the time the line went below six. And that was the response days. Then, because I had a conversation with this gentleman at the, at the, the old uh, fertilizer company I used to work for, he said, I get that, you know, the response days is important, but some places are going to want a greater magnitude of response. They're going to they're not going to accept six as a minimum or seven as a minimum. They're going to they want to want to have an eight or a nine. So in fact, what he was saying was was that he wanted to measure the area under the curve. So the it's you often see that with like disease um, papers, but in this case, I wanted to measure the area of under the curve of quality. So when how high did that curve go? So I'm measuring longevity and I'm measuring the magnitude. I'm going to show you that in just a second. So the area under the turf grass response curve, which is that, that magnitude and longevity, was calculated using software. I used a software program to do that, and this is, the, this is the, the formula that I used. Now, this formula makes me look really, really, whoops, hang on. This formula makes me look super, super smart. I don't know anything about this formula, okay? There's a software program, and the software program spits out that formula and tells you this is the formula that they used, or the software used, to predict the area under the curve. So. Um, that's that. I'm going to get through the materials and methods, and then I'm going to go, go to the PowerPoint presentation. The fertilizer sales price was provided by, by four Florida fertilizer distributors, except for one of the polymer coats, which was a pro proprietary product. Okay. And the other polymer coat, because there was only, only one distributor provided a sales price. Okay. So, but other than that, the, the fertilizer sales price were provided by, I got four quotes, and I averaged the quotes of the of, from each distributor and that's how it came up with the price let's say for urea or the price for ammonium sulfate so that was the average of four where it, keep in mind there's some proprietary products like some polymer coats are only sold by one distributor so you only have one but that's how i came up with the price so i came up with the turf came up with the turf uh, response metric by measuring it in the field and i came up with the price by getting the average from the distributors in florida the weather data i, I, I did that let's see i measured it using glimmicks 
Okay, so let me go to the um, the PowerPoint here real quick. Let me go back to me. I think I can do this. PowerPoint. Okay, so let me go to PowerPoint, and I'm going to show you. Um, yeah, okay, so here we go. Oh, it worked. Son of a gun. Okay, so here is the setup of the study for those people interested in more of the details of this study. I did it on Celebration Bermuda Grass in JN Fort Lauderdale. What you see over here, for those listening, I'll do my best to describe it. What you see here is a, an aerial photograph of the actual um, location. This was the actual study that was conducted on. And so one rep includes all of these subplots. One whole plot is two subplots. So nitrogen source was applied to both of these plots here. But one plot received one pound of nitrogen and the other subplot re re received two pounds of nitrogen. So you can see the magnitude of the scale of this study, and it was done in two locations. So the, each one of these plots is one meter wide and three meters long. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So it's eight, it's 24 meters long by however many meters wide, 10 or 12 meters wide. It's a, it's a large area. And you can see that from the aerial, you can see some plots are less, you know, they're more yellow than the others, and some plots are more green than the others and so forth, okay? So this is what a study looks like of this size and here's all the all, here's all the treatments and so forth okay the urea we used urea just so everybody's on the same page i used urea i used ammonium sulfate i used uflex which was mentioned last night by somebody when they were talking about umax the study tonight that i'll talk about used uflex and umax i just used umax i'm sorry i just used uflex in this study which is a 4600 i used xcu which is a sulfur coat um treatment that i used methylene urea urea formaldehyde, milorganite, huactinite, duration 90, and polyon 42. So for all those interested in, in comparing different nitrogen sources, or you're saying, well, you're thinking to yourself, well, how do I know which one I should use, or what's the length of response to sulfur coat compared to methylene and milorganite compared to ammonium sulfur, whatever the case is, you're going to see that. And then more importantly, you're going to see the response from one pound or two pounds, which there was no difference, so I merged them. You'll, I'll talk about that in a second. And you're going to see how much it actually costs it's from all these treatments. Okay, and, then, and that's what this is right here. All these treatments. You un, we have a non-treated urea, ammonium sulfate, uflex, SCU, methylene urea, urea formaldehyde, milorganite, uactinide, duration 90, and polyon 42. All those were compared. Okay. I wonder if I want to go to... Oh, what I wanted to do next was I wanted to show this. This is what I'm talking about when it comes to long response longevity in the area under the curve. When I'm talking about longevity, you could have the turf grass. What you were looking at on the, on the screen here for those listening is turf grass quality on the y-axis and then months on the x-axis. And we're ha I have just an uh, example curve in green here of showing a turf grass response where the turf grass is, uh, the nutrient is applied, the turf grass responds, and then goes back down. It goes up and then goes back down from the next application. And then third application, it goes up and go back down. I just made this curve up as an example, okay? And the longevity, what I'm talking about is the days that it's above six. So when it goes above six, I start counting. And in this particular um, case on the left, I'm showing a, 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 a line and it goes up above six and it lasts for 110 days. So that 110 days was inserted as a single data point. However, when you talk about um, length of response, it can be it can be the same in terms of length, but different in terms of magnitude. And in this case, on the second and third curves, you'll see an 80-day length of response from both. Okay. 
But the magnitude of response from this middle curve is much greater. The quality goes up to nine almost, and the quality of the second curve only goes up to seven. So that was that gentleman's point was that, you know, I understand the longevity, but the magnitude could be different. And he's right. It could be different. So because of that, I included another metric known as the area under the treatment response curve. So what I'm measuring on another metric is the area in gray where I've colored in here for those listing the area under the curve above six. Everything under that curve that's greater than six was measured as an area metric. And you can clearly see in the second curve here, even though the longevity is still 80 days between the second and third, the area under the, 80, the, the second curve here is much greater than the area under the last curve. So that's why I included area under the curve. So although, I th although in my opinion, that gentleman was basically trying to shoot holes in my study, what happened was he ended up making it almost bulletproof. I took in his, his point, accepted them as, as valid criticism, and included them in the methodology. Okay, that's, that's the reason this study, I have a fair amount of confidence in the, in the results of this study because it's hard, it's hard for me to argue out of it. What else are you going to say? You're going to come up with other, you know, you're going to move the goalposts again and say, well, you didn't do that and you didn't do this. They're always moving the goalposts. But in this case, I measured longevity and the area under the curve. So we have both metrics. And then all you got to do is get the price of the fertilizer and, and then you got it. That's, and that's what happened. That's what we did. Okay, so let me go back real quick to the PDF here. I think what I want to do is I want to show the PDF, at least initially, and I'll go back and show it graphically. Okay, I want to show at least some of the data first, and then I'll show the data in a graphic form, which is more easy to understand. For those interested in the stats, basically the, I don't know if you're interested in that or not, but the, the cost stats are all going to be shown by this, this number here, meaning there is no interaction uh, in, at Fort Lauderdale or an NJ when it comes to the cost. So I'm going to show the cost on an annual basis because there was no interaction with nitrogen source or nitrogen rate. Okay. And up here, when, it, when we're talking about the quality of the, the actual turfgrass response to it. There also was no, uh, there was no interaction here between nitrogen source and nitrogen rate. There was one here in the fall fertilizer cycle, and I'll show you that. But because when there's no interaction, I can merge the main effects. I can, I can just not merge the main effects. I can actually just show one main effect and show the other main effect. I don't have to separate them out when there's no interaction. So that's what you're going to see. It makes the study stronger. You're not going to see one pound and two pounds across the board because they were the same. This, if there were different, this NS would be a, there'd be a star here. Okay, because when it says there's no difference between the, what happened at the nitrogen sources responded at rate one pound the same way they responded at rate two pounds. Now, the magnitude of response differed a little bit. The two pound rate obviously resulted in a longer um, turf response. But what happened from the nitrogen sources was the same when you applied one pound compared to when you applied two pounds. So there's no point in showing both of them. We pull them together so we have, have a stronger statistical model. Okay. So the days of turfgrass response, I, This at this point, I think I might actually just switch to the PowerPoint duration. Yeah, let me just switch to the PowerPoint because all this stuff is in the graph. It's more easy to see. Just so you know, I'm going to show a graph in a minute, but you can go back into this. This document's for free, by the way, on Hort Technology. It's published in Hort Technology in, when was it published? 2021. So you can go download this for free. And 
what I wanted to show was how to read the data, and then you can go in and read all the data you want to. I'm just going to go to the graph after this. So the days of turf grass response and the area under the curve in J. And the, the days the turf grass responded were all the same in J. We applied two applications. Growing season was shorter there. And what it's saying here is that when we started counting the number of days above six for all of these nitrogen sources, then we subtracted out the turf grass response. In other words, the non-treated, we subtracted out what would have happened anyway, okay, without the nitrogen sources. We find that there were no differences in the total number of days greater than acceptable limits. So from urea, we had 122 days of acceptable turf grass in J. From the, the, the numerically greatest one is the, the polymer coat one, we had 152 days. Statistically, it was the same. You can debate whether that's biologically significant or not. But statistically, there was no difference between any of these nitrogen sources in terms of the number of days of acceptable turf grass in J. That's the way you'd read this. When you look at the area under the curve, so the magnitude and the longevity, there was one separation. It was between uh, polymer coated one, which was which was polyon, and the stabilized urea Uflex. Oh, and urea, and urea, stabilized urea and urea were lower than the area under the curve uh, resulting from the polyon application. So the area under the curve from polyon was greater than urea and stabilized urea in J. Okay, so. There's something there in J, and here you can see the rates. The rates obviously resulted in greater area in the curve. That's you can see the rate there. Now let's go to Fort Lauderdale. Fort Lauderdale, the area, the, the response longevity was exactly the same among all end sources. No difference, just like in J. So the number of days of acceptable turf grass, what for the whole year in Fort Lauderdale, where it's hot, where it's wet, okay, where the grass grows 20, 12 months a year, nonstop. Urea resulted in 230 acceptable days days of acceptable turf grass, and uh, it was the same as for all of them. I'm going to show you this in a graph form in a minute. It's more easy to see. The least one was, was methylene urea, but statistically it was the same. The area under the curve over here, there were also uh, some differences. Okay, the, well, I'm sorry, there were differences. The, the response longevity, there were no differences. The area under the curve, there were a few differences. Ammonium sulfate was the highest, and it was equal to urea, and it was equal to stabilized urea, so Uflex, and that was equal to sulfur coat. And then there was a couple of them that were equal, but there's some differences. The lowest one was methylene urea. Okay, methylene urea and the two polymer coats uh, wait, were lower than ammonium sulfate. I'm gonna show you that in graph. I don't wanna mess this up. I'm gonna show this in the graph form in a second, okay? So this is the way you'd read this. Let me go to the, uh, let me go back to the PowerPoint here. Man, this is working so far. Let's Let's, hope keep 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 our fingers crossed here that this this doesn't wig out on me here yeah it's yeah okay so this is the longevity of turf grass response and same thing i just showed you same numbers i'm just going to show it in a graphic form so it's a little easier to understand here guys response longevity is on the y-axis and all the nitrogen sources are on the x-axis and when we talk about longevity of turf response that gentleman just said you're only going to get four to six weeks out of ammonium sulfate and you're gonna have to reapply it you're going to get longer longevity out of out of milorganite. The video that we showed, if you, if you haven't gone back and watched that at the beginning of this episode, milorganite, you're going to get another 30 days out of 
whatever he said. And you're going to have to reapply urea because you're only you're going to or ammonium sulfate because you're not going to get as long, much longevity out of it. Well, let's see what happens when we actually measure it. When we measure it, and it's not working. When we measure it, we see this that there were like I said from the from the PDF there were no differences. So all the the bars under a single line are all statistically the same. So all these bars statistically are the same. You can argue biologically that there's a difference between 191 days of response and 245. You can argue that if you want to. Biologically, you probably I wouldn't argue that. That's fine. But statistically, they're the same. But look at urea. 230 response, days of quality turf grass from urea. Okay? And all, the, all these are statistically the same. But look, you're going to have XCU, you're going to have polyon, you're going to have UF, milorganite, duration. All these slow-release sources down here are more expensive than urea. All of them are. The, the urea and the ammonium sulfate and the Uflex and then this um, biosolid from Houston were, well, they were, I mean, numerically they're greater, but statistically they're the same. And even biologically in those cases, there's probably going to be a difference between those. Okay. So if you're going to make the argument that the nitrogen source costs more, but the longevity is greater, so it offsets that cost, I'm not seeing it. Okay, it doesn't exist. Okay, <laughs> at least not in this study. This study is clearly not supporting that notion. All right, so now let's look at the area under the curve from the nitrogen sources. Same exact setup nitrogen sources on the x axis, turf grass response on the y axis. And we're going to look at the, the influence of the longevity and the magnitude. And we see this. Remember, every, any bar underneath the same line is statistically the same. And you see when you, add, when you add in the magnitude with the longevity, this two, the solubles are at the top. <laughs> so the longevity wasn't that, they were all statistically the same longevity-wise. Biologically, we can make that argument, no problem. There was some that probably differed, but statistically they're the same. But when you go here, and you look at the magnitude of response during that longevity, it's the urea, uflex, and ammonium sulfate, these soluble in sources that result in the greatest area under the turf grass response curve compared to every other nitrogen source on here. Biologically speaking, we can make an argument some of these are similar here in the middle. But statistically, you can see that ammonium sulfate, what this says is, what this bar says is ammonium sulfate had greater area under the curve. See this line here, guys, that goes all the way down here? This is where, these are all the same as ammonium sulfate. So XCU, milorganite, duration, polyon, methylene urea, and urea formaldehyde all resulted in less area under the curve than ammonium sulfate. And then urea is the same as ammonium sulfate, but there was, there was um, similarities between urea and some of these sources. So the, the, again, the notion is not supported by the data. When it, when, when the notion that these slow-release nitrogen sources are going to really result in a prolonged response in a very long, and, you, and that's going to be accounted. The extra, extra cost is going to be accounted for in that response. Okay, so you can already tell where the cost is going to go because the cost of these nitrogen sources, in order to balance out the ex, the extra cost you have to have a longer release than the soluble sources, 
a longer turf response, I should say, to the nitrogen sources. And we're not even getting a longer response from the nitrogen sources, the soluble nitrogen sources from the beginning. We're not getting that at all. So you already know where the cost is going to go. I mean, it's not going to be less expensive, right? So let's go to the next slide. Cost of nitrogen sources to achieve acceptable turf grass. So this is what everybody came for, okay? Oh, I'm sorry, um, Bert. You said enlarge, please. Did I? I may have made it. I'm sorry. It's hard for me to keep up the chat. I apologize for those who may have been asking me questions. I, I can't keep up with the chat. I, it's difficult when I'm when I'm I got multiple screens going on here. I apologize. I'm sorry. Hopefully you can see this now, Hofgard or, or Bert. Um, the cost of nitrogen sources to achieve acceptable turf grass. Nitrogen sources on the x-axis. Cost per acre per day is on the y-axis. All right. So here we go. This is the cost. And you see the differences on the bar. The lines are the differences. Urea is, and this was in 2021. And I'm going to show you another um, slide here in a second that, that balances all this stuff out in terms of like the differences. But this is the cost that existed in 2021. was 63 cents per acre per day. That's what it would cost if you wanted to have acceptable turf grass if you used urea. When you go to sulfur coat, it cost a dollar. Monium sulfate was a dollar or nine. Uflex was a dollar or nine. Okay, that's how you read this. Milorganite was so much greater. It's four dollars and sixty-nine cents per acre per day. This was published in Hort Tech. All you gotta do is go download the article. You can see the exact same number in Hort Tech. The article: four dollars and sixty-nine cents per acre per day if you want acceptable turf grass for milorganite. The same exact turf grass can become acceptable and maintain acceptable limits. For 63 cents per acre per day. Okay. And you can just go down right down the list. There is not any evidence here that would suggest that there is an there is an economic advantage to using natural organics compared to urea or really any of these other slow release nitrogen sources compared to urea, except sulfur coated urea is a little less expensive than ammonium sulfate. Okay, and that's one reason why the people who have been um, um, counseling with me on my Calendly uh, appointment, where I, if you go to calendly.com slash Travis Shaddix, that's one reason, this is the main reason, why I will lean heavily upon sulfur-coated urea if the slow release is desired, because the evidence supports that. It does not mean you won't find or won't eventually result in acceptable turf grass using any other nitrogen source. As you saw, the response longevity existed from all those nitrogen sources. You will achieve, very likely, acceptable turf grass from all these nitrogen sources. Okay. My question is, how much does it cost? And these data clearly show that the least expensive slow release is sulfur-coated urea, in this case it's XCU. I, this, this might not be the case for every brand of sulfur coat, but this case was XCU. And it was $1, whereas the next least expensive was 34% more. Duration 90 was the next least expensive. Slow release. Okay, so if you're using these polymer coats, you'll probably have acceptable turf grass, no problem. If you're using these reacted, you'll probably have acceptable turf grass. But this is the difference that you'd pay in cost to achieve that if you're using just sulfur coat. And I'm going to show in the next slide a little bit 
a little bit more um, easy to understand. Maybe easier to understand, I don't know. Okay, so now, this is the nuts and bolts. If you want to take a screenshot or you want to take a snippet of this, this is going to be the slide you guys are going to want to lean on. Because fertilizer cost changes year to year, day to day almost, those numbers in terms of the cost per acre per day might not necessarily be the exact numbers you would experience today, all right, because the cost changes. The, as the urea goes up, so too, but, but as the urea goes up, so too will the cost of polymer-coated urea and reacted ureas and sulfur-coated ureas and so forth. So urea as the substrate, when it goes up or down in cost or price, eventually, based upon however they do their costs in the manufacturing with FIFO, the first out for the first in first out sort of system. Whenever that cost hits their system, the cost of the sulfur coat will go up or go down. However, however it hits in the system. What I'm saying is most of these fertilizers, the prices are determined by the commodity price of urea. Okay. If assuming that that's the case, we can, provide a relative um, cost comparison by simply comparing it how much greater than urea it was. That way, you don't have to go and say, well, it's 63 cents per year from urea, but that was 2021 and now it's 2050 or whatever. You know, when you're, reading, when you're watching this in the future, reading my paper in the future. That's not really relevant today. That was 30 years ago. Well, if we compare it to, to urea, then the cost, as the cost of urea changes, so too does the cost of the other nitrogen sources changes, and that's somewhat um, timeless to some degree. Okay, So in this uh, graph, I've done that. I've changed it to where the y-axis now has the times or fold greater than urea. How much more expensive than urea is it? And all the nitrogen sources are here on the x-axis. And now I have three different ways we measured it. Now we had the cost per pound of nitrogen, which I didn't actually... Um, go into, but I will, let me see here, hang on. Um, I didn't actually show that. Let me show that real quick. The cost of urea, uh, the cost of these fertilizers was in the first table. The cost of the fertilizers, and when I did the study, were $643 a ton for urea, $537 for ammonium sulfate, $1140 for Uflex. So you can see the cost of Uflex is roughly twice the expenses, it's twice as expensive as urea. And we'll get into Uflex, by the way, and Umax, these, uh, these uh, urea-stabilized products. We're going to get into that. It's probably going to be next month because I want to have an author on to talk about that. But uh, sulfur coat was $9.50. Methylene urea was $13.85. So more than twice as expensive when, for the reactive products compared to urea. Urea formaldehyde is $13.76. And then the, the, the natural organics are $5.30 and $3.34 a ton. So Millorganite at the time was $533 a ton, and the Houston one was $334 a ton. So that's, in, that's, that's enticing when you see that. You're going, well, it's only $500 a ton. It's less expensive. No, it's not. That's the worst way to compare nitrogen, uh, uh, nitrogen sources. You want to compare it on a cost per pound of N basis, which is what I did in the, the, the column over here, the next column over. I'll get that in a second. But the duration, the, the two polymer coats were 1,200 for duration and 1,430 for polymer or for polyon 42. So the most expensive one was poly, polyon 42 at 1,430 a ton. But when you compare it on a cost per pound of N basis, urea is 70 cents per pound of N. And all you're doing is taking the, the analysis, the 4600, and you're taking the cost per ton and you can determine the cost per pound of N. Ammonium sulfate's 2100. 
So it, even though it's less expensive for ton, per ton, it's almost twice as expensive as urea per pound of nitrogen. Remember, we don't apply fertilizer based upon the pounds of fertilizer. <clears throat> we apply fertilizer based upon the pounds of nitrogen. So the cost needs to be uh, compared based upon that metric, not the cost per fertilizer, cost per pound of nitrogen in the fertilizer. And we'll see Uflex is 127. You can see all the comparisons. And look at the natural organics. They were 530 and 333, 334 a ton. But now look at the cost. They were the least expensive per ton. But now look at the cost per pound of N. Far and away the greatest expense uh, is in the, the natural organics. $4.44 for melorganite per pound of nitrogen. Vastly greater than the... Um, the other in the other nitrogen sources. Now let me go back to the PowerPoint. I don't mess this up. So far I'm doing okay here. I'm surprised I haven't screwed this up yet. Okay. So now we're dealing with the nitrogen sources on the x-axis, the, the times greater than urea. So I just took everything and then used urea as the benchmark and then determined how much greater than urea it was. And we have the cost per pound of nitrogen here in blue. And that's just what you saw in that table. I just took the nitrogen uh the cost per pound of nitrogen, and then I use the, the cost per pound of nitrogen from urea as a baseline, and then you can see that sulfur-coated urea is 1.6 times greater in cost per pound of nitrogen than just straight urea, okay? And we can see here milorganite is six and a half times more expensive than urea on a cost per pound of nitrogen basis. So by just sheer math, in order for that to make sense, the, the turf grass response to malorganite has to be at least 6.4 times greater than you saw from urea in order for that math to make sense, in order for the cost of that to balance out. And that's the way you read the, all of these. Okay. And as you already know, we didn't see that. Okay. So now we're going to go to the cost per response day. So now we're going to factor in. How long did the turf grass response last from those nitrogen sources? And compare that to how long it lasted from urea. How much did it cost from urea? And so theoretically, if that gentleman in Birmingham, Alabama, sitting at his kitchen table making up those numbers was correct, this bar should go down because we're factoring in the days of greening, right? We're factoring, how much does it cost per day of greening, if you want to call it that, or per day of quality, acceptable turf grass. So if he was right, when I click this next button, the, the red bars should be less than all the blue bars. And that's not what we find. Not even close. XCU is the same. 1.6. Uflex actually went up. Ammonium sulfate went from 1.8 to 1.7 dollars per response day or compared to urea one point time i should say 1.7 times more expensive than urea polyons more expensive not you know, biologics probably the same 2.4 to 2.5 times more expensive than urea but all these basically went up okay so there is no evidence in this paper at least to even come close to making an argument that you should include a response days because those response days because they're longer from the slow release, which is not what we found, but those, those response days should, should reduce the cost of fertilizer. We didn't see that in that. But now we got a green bar. We've got a green bars coming in. We're, 
The gentleman said, well, you should include the magnitude too. And I included the magnitude. Now let's look at how much it costs more than urea to, you know, for, um, when, we, when we include the, the length of response and the magnitude of response. So even though, I was, even though there wasn't a response from the red, the, 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 the quality or the, the cost did not go down when we included the response. It could go down from the green that I'm about to show. So if the green bar goes down below the blue, then there could be some evidence to support that sort of notion. What do we find? Not. It continues to go up for every nitrogen source except ammonium sulfate. Ammonium sulfate went from 1.8 1, 1. times more expensive than urea to 1.7 times more expensive than urea down to 1.6 times more expensive than urea. So there was a little bit of evidence using ammonium sulfate that it does get less expensive compared to urea when we include response days or when we include the response and magnitude days. We see that, but we don't see that from any other nitrogen source. So there's a bunch of hogwash. This whole thing about we got to include these, we got to factor in the length of response and we got to factor in the length and the magnitude of response. And, and then the, the slow release nitrogen source cost will make sense. It's a bunch of nonsense, guys. Sorry. It, it just is. Now, if it, if it had said something different, I would be here talking about it, saying, hey, it does work, or whatever the case is. But that's not what we found. Okay? We, did, we didn't find that at all. So those, those are the results. The last thing I want to show here is the, the regression I did. Okay? So on this same uh, manuscript, I provided a regression. And I wanted to know, was there any relationship between the cost of the fertilizer and the turf grass response at all? And so at the very last on figure two here, we're going we're gonna to show the regression tables. And this is the relationship between nitrogen fertilizer cost per pound and fertilizer cost per acre or the cost per pound and the fertilizer cost per quality, uh, per acre per quality day or and so forth or the, turf, or the uh, nitrogen fertilizer cost per acre, or I'm sorry, fertilizer cost per pound and the turf grass response longevity or the area under the curve. So in other words, I'm, I'm, I'm regressing or I'm trying to figure out the relationship between the cost of the fertilizer and whether or not there's any relationship to the longevity or the magnitude of release or the cost when you, when you can factor in longevity or the cost when you factor in longevity and magnitude. And at the top of this, you'll see that, I'm going to do my best to see if I can zoom in on this. Explain what I'm doing here. Okay. I think you guys can see that online. So here we see the cost per pound of nitrogen across the bottom on the x-axis and the fertilizer cost per acre per day. And we see the R squared is 0 0.06. So that means, and the, and the p-value is less than 0.001. That means there's no relationship basically between the cost of fertilizer per pound of nitrogen and if you use the fertilizer cost per acre per day. There's, you're not going to be able to determine one from the other. If we include the magnitude of release, the R squared is 0 0.05. Again, there's no relationship between the cost per, acre, per, cost per pound of nitrogen and the cost per acre per quality day. There's no relationship between there. Now let's look at turf quality, just straight up turf quality. And this is the, this is the graph I'd like, this in the next graph, the graph I'd like for to spend a little time on so you guys can maybe, maybe it makes more sense to some people looking at it like this. 
the turf quality, the number of days that it was greater than six, so the number of days per year that the turf quality was greater or equal to six. And then on the x-axis, we have the cost of the nitrogen sources per pound of nitrogen. The R squared was 0.001 and the p-value is 0.94, so there's no relationship. But look, what this says is, is that these, this is the least expensive nitrogen source on the far left of this graph. This is the most expensive nitrogen source on the far right of this graph. And what it says is you can have a, a great number of days per year using a, a low, least expensive nitrogen source, a middle expensive nitrogen source, or a high expensive nitrogen source. And you can have a very high number of days of acceptable turf grass per year using least, low expense or high expense. In other words, whatever you spend, you still have essentially the same chances of having really good quality turf or low quality turf. It doesn't matter how much more you pay for the nitrogen. You can pay a lot of money for that nitrogen and you're still basically going to get the same number of quality days per year. According to this graph, when you look at the length of response and the magnitude of the response, you see the same thing where you, you have a, um, a, the, the least expensive nitrogen source resulting in a high number of quality days per year and a low quality number, a low number of quality days per year, as well as the, the very expensive nitrogen sources. The very expensive sources are down here. The middle, or, see, what I'm saying is if there was some sort of relationship saying, well, the more you spent on the nitrogen source, the more quality days you have, it would look like this. It would be a curve, something like that, where you'd slowly start to see more and more money you spend, the more and more quality days you get. But we, that's not what we found at all. This is not what we found. How do I erase that? I forget how to do that. Oh, man, I just messed that up. Rut row. Control Z. There we go. So these graphs reinforce what, we, what the other data said, basically. And that's saying that it doesn't matter how much, how much money you spend on it. You can, if it makes you feel better to spend four pounds, $4 a pound of nitrogen, this, this most expensive one over here per pound of N was, was milorganite. Let me put that back on the screen. This one here is milorganite. You can see you got really good number of quality days and you got really low number of quality days from milorganite. Or you can spend 60 cents per pound of N and get good number of quality days or low number of quality days. If there, was, if there was some meat on that bone, what you'd see is all these, all these milorganite numbers would be way up here at the top. And all these least expensive ones would be way down here. You'd see all these numbers way down here at the bottom. You don't see that. Okay. Let's see if I can delete all those. I don't know if I can do that. Okay. So, having said that, let me read the conclusions. And then we'll wrap this thing up and come back for a really important talk tonight. You will not want to miss tonight. I'm just throwing it out there. Okay. <laughs> you can already see I'm hyped up now. Okay, I got about a 10-hour break, and then I, I'm going to come back, and it's going to still be there, okay? So you're not going to want to miss tonight. So let's read the conclusions here, and if I can keep from screwing this thing up here. Okay, read the conclusions. The only nitrogen source that increased turf grass response longevity compared with urea was the Houston Natural Organic, applied at two pounds it, during one season, during the fall fertilizer cycle in J. So one season in J, the Houston natural or uh, biosolid 
applied at two pounds did re did increase turf grass response longevity compared to urea. So I want to make sure that's clear. During all remaining seasons and the annual cumulative, nitrogen sources did not increase turf grass response longevity compared to urea. Where's my highlighter? Give me the freaking highlight. Where is this thing at? During let's re, let's during all remaining seasons and annual cumulative, nitrogen sources did not increase turf grass response longevity. Right there. I'm gonna zoom in on that. Let's get that on the main page here. How do I zoom in? Can I get that on the screen? Ah, dang it, I can't. So do what you want. You, you're you're going to have good looking turf grass from all these nitrogen sources, but you, but the chances of you seeing like an increased response longevity are not supported by the evidence in this paper. I'm not saying it won't won't happen or you won't observe it, but I'm saying in this paper there was no evidence to support that. Differences among nitrogen sources were more frequently measured using the area under the curve, indicating that the area under the curve may be a more useful response to longevity metric when determining the influence of nitrogen sources of turf grass. So instead of just looking at how long it lasts, there may actually be, um, or there is, a good reason to not just look, look, look at longevity, but look at longevity and the magnitude. Then there were some differences that got pulled out, okay, as, you, as I show, showed in those tables and in the, in the figures. Urea was less than or equal to the cost of other nitrogen sources during each fertilizer cycle and annual average in J and Fort Lauderdale. Now, I just said that there was one that lasted longer. This natural organic, the Houston biosolid lasted longer, but it was still more expensive. Okay. Urea was less expensive or equal to the cost of all end sources during each fertilizer cycle in J and Fort Lauderdale. Regression analysis indicated that fertilizer cost in dollars per acre per day and dollars per acre per quality day increases as the dollars per pound of N increases, but turf response longevity and the area under the curve may not increase concomitantly. Meaning, you'll get, a, you'll get an increase, but you're not going to see the concomitant increase to the point where it would offset the cost. Okay? Not going to happen. At least not from this study. These results indicate that urea and sulfur-coated urea are the least expensive, soluble, and slow-release nitrogen sources, respectively. Evidence from this study supports the use of dollars per pound of nitrogen when comparing nitrogen source costs, whereas this study found no evidence that using turf grass response provided a more accurate nitrogen source cost comparison than dollars per pound of nitrogen. So I, you know, I, I don't know how much more clear I can say it. I'll probably just cost myself a ton of money because now no one's going to need to use any of the uh, <laughs> any of the consulting services. And that's fine, no problem at all, you know. That, but that this is where I'm basing a lot of my recommendations off of because of this right here. These results indicate that urea and sulfur-coated urea are the least expensive, soluble, and slow-release sources, respectively. Not only um, just on the cost per pound of nitrogen basis, but also when you include the response to the of the turf grass. Just use cost per pound of nitrogen, guys. As of right now, it's the most reliable and consistent method to determine what is the least expensive and efficient nitrogen source for you. Now, how you would do that is, because a lot of these things come blended, well, how you would do that is you have to ask your blender, your fertilizer distributor, what is the cost 
of straight SCU? What is the cost of straight polymer coat whatever? Okay. What is the cost of straight whatever, straight polymer, uh, you know, reacted methylene urea? Convert that cost per ton to cost per pound of nitrogen. And when you do that, whatever that falls, if it's $2 a pound in for a sulfur coat and it's $2 a pound in for polymer coat, then just pick one and go with it. Okay. But if one's $2 per pound in and one's $180 per pound in, that right there will be your best option in terms of making a decision based on the evidence. It may eventually prove that there was another method to be used that was more effective. I mean, eventually that may be proven. And in, you know, in some cases, you, you may follow that. And in, in hindsight, you find, eh, well, there was actually a least expensive option. Or there was a better option. But the point is you're using critical thinking skills and you're using a good reason to make that decision. Sometimes it might be wrong. We might eventually find out that, hey, that might not have been the best method. But the thought process, your epistemological decision was sound. You're using critical thinking skills and you're using the evidence as best you know it to make that decision um, for you. It's urea. And then if you want to use another soluble source, it's, it's ammonium sulfate. And then if you want to use a slow release, it's sulfur-coated urea. If you want the most efficient um, nitrogen sources to use for turf grasses, that's what the evidence supports. And when the next person comes out and publishes another paper or a different paper, like what I've published and includes the cost, we'll see where that goes. It'll, 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 it'll add to the, tur the model of turfgrass science. And whether, it's in and whether it supports what I've found or whether it contradicts what I've found, that's fine. But it's added in. But we just don't see papers like this. So as far as I know, it's the only paper I'm aware of that includes the turfgrass response to you know, factor in or to balance out the cost of the fertilizer. You, you'd be hard-pressed to find any, any scientific report that includes just the cost of fertilizer. It's just straight up. I mean, that's not easy to find. I don't, I don't, in fact, if you find one, let me know. It's not easy to find just that, much less including, you know, does the response reduce the actual cost of the fertilizer, okay? Okay, let me go into the chat and see if there's anything crazy that I want <laughs> that you guys want me to respond to. Um yeah, good morning, Gray and Connecticut oh Connecticut Cubanican? Oh I don't know how to say it. Cubanican? That's a I'm I'm sorry if you've been here before I don't recognize that name. That's what you're welcome. Oh, Looney says you, you don't allow imports of biosolids in Canada. Okay, well, it is what it is, yeah. Yeah, and Andrew Burr says, I feel like I've been lied to all these years about solar release fertilizers. Thank you, Dr. Jackson. Yeah, so, you know, I'm not saying necessarily you're lied to. I think, you know, I think in some cases there is that going on. <laughs> That's for sure. I would say in a large, large number of cases, people just don't know. Particularly salesmen. Salesmen don't know. They're just regurgitating whatever they've been, you know, told to, told to use, and you know, based upon their experience or some other factor or whatever. But when we actually go in and we try to do our best to balance out all the other factors and variables that can influence things, and we look at it as accurately as we can, 
If this was different, if it, if it showed the turfgrass response to these products were two or three times as long, I'd be sitting here saying, yeah, you probably should be using these slow-release insources more frequently because the cost is factored out when you use it. I would be saying that, but that's not what we find. Okay? Um, I, I, as I said yesterday, somebody asked um, about, can you just apply one nitrogen source for the whole season? And I mentioned, I forget who it was, but I mentioned, that's about the only way I can think of that would come close. Because the clo the shorter and shorter you get that release for, say you're out, let's say, let's say theoretically you could get out to say six months. You got you got to start measuring these nitrogen slow release um, sources in a matter of months if you want to compete with urea. So let's say you had a six month uh, turf grass responded for six months. You might actually be competitive with urea at that length of time. But the, the shorter that is, you go from six months to five months to three months to two months, you, you're getting more, you're getting closer and closer to the response from urea. Every time you shorten that down, you're getting more, urea is getting more and more competitive. Okay. So you got to get way out there with, with the nitrogen longevity, the turf grass response to these sources in order for them to make sense financially, environmentally and all that stuff is another issue. Okay. But financially, you got to get way out there. So the, qu the, the question was, can I just apply one at f like four pounds in and the, and the paper tonight is going to use that rate. They're going to use four pounds of nitrogen rather than one or two pounds and see, okay, well, that four pounds metered out the entire length of the season and result in acceptable turf grass or at least equivalent turf grass to what urea would be if I applied it more frequently. That's what we're going to find tonight, okay? Uh, but that's about the only, only way I can think of at the moment that would come close to competing with urea. Anytime you're dealing with these you know, 90-day products, 60-day products, you're so close to the turf response to urea that the cost is not balanced out is the, is the take home message. Okay, guys. Uh, Elvin Woods. This may be a, he says in the chat, this may be a different subject, but I've been seeking a solution to bridge turf grass appearance between my two granular apps at eight, uh, at 80, what does that mean? 85? I think it was a typo. Sorry. Let me see what it says. At 0. 0.5 to 1 pound, I think it means point. I think you meant to say a zero there. So 0. 0.5 to 1 pounds of in in April and July. I've been seeking a solution to bridge the turf grass appearance between my two granular apps. I've been, okay, I've been sold that grass cannot utilize so much in at a time and slow release prevents the excess from leaching. Thus, most consistent, yeah. Well, slow release will prevent the, uh, the nitrogen from leaching. It'll definitely delay that. It'll reduce that. Um, but I want to make sure it's clear that even nitrogen leaching from urea can be very low or minimal if applied correctly. Okay. So I don't, we'll get into the leaching whole thing. We'll get into that in the, in the future. And clearly, there's evidence to support the use of slow release nitrogen sources to reduce the risk of that. But when it comes to, whether or not the, the turf grass will respond to the soluble nitrogen sources for longer periods of time than oftentimes what is marketed. That's what this paper today was about. The turf grass response is, you know, well, I showed in both locations. It was the same. The, the, the number of days of, of acceptable turf was equivalent for the entire year using urea or ammonium sulfate as it was using any of the other nitrogen sources. 
And in fact, the magnitude of turf grass response during that longevity was greater using ammonium sulfate than any other any of the other nitrogen sources or any of the I should say some of the not all of them but many of the slow release nitrogen sources. Um, but Elvin, I would say that if, if you want more details on that, that's the sort of thing that I provide um, through my calendarly.com slash Travis Shaddix consultation page. You can go on there and you can see on my calendar, you can sign up for a time and I can go over that with you and provide some input and recommendations as to what sort of things you can do and you can you can use to to bridge these two granular applications, whether it's a foliar iron product or whether you increase the you know the rate and the early applications. Or, I don't know your program. I need more information about your program to provide any meaningful recommendation, but I do that. Um, you can sign up on calendly.com slash Travis and I'll do what I can uh, to help you out there. And then uh, the last question for today, and then I'll come back tonight. It says from Valerio in Italy, it says, does soluble fertilizer produce flush growth that deplete carbohydrate reserves? Um, it depends. I, I will say that I think I covered that. There is a paper on carbohydrates in my playlist, I think, that talked about carbohydrate reserves. I'm not exactly sure why so many people are interested in carbohydrate reserves. Um, I, I've gotten that question several times. Uh, but depending on how you apply the soluble fertilizer, whether or not you're applying it with MBMP rates and so forth, if you're applying reasonable rates, the the flush of growth is minimal and the carbohydrate depletion is minimal compared to other nitrogen sources. If you're going out at one pound of soluble in and one pound or two pounds of soluble in, and you're really pushing it and pushing it and pushing it, then that's different. Um, there's there's very likely going to be a flush of growth and depletion of carbohydrates in that case. But if you're applying uh, soluble nitrogen, urea, ammonium sulfate, if you're spraying it out, whatever the case might be, um, and you're doing it within reasonable BMP ranges, like you know half a pound to one pound in per application, the question really is: Would you see a flush of growth and carbohydrate depletion compared to other nitrogen sources applied in that same regime? And generally, the the difference is minimal. Okay, although under some conditions, I'm sure if you put out urea at a pound and a really, really thickly coated, slow-release nitrogen source, then you're going to see more growth from the urea than you would from the slow-release. All right, guys, don't forget tonight is is important. Okay, you will not want to miss it. Uh, we're going to go over the four-pound applications of slow releases on athletic fields, on on uh, fairways, on, on home lawns, and we're going to compare that to one-pound applications of urea, uh, split applications of urea throughout the year. We're going to look and see what happens with that. And um, you won't want to miss it. So I'll be back in about, I don't know, 10 hours or so. Until then, guys, be kind. I really appreciate everybody showing up and your participation in chat. Thanks a bunch. Be kind. See you later.